It's not every day that you get to talk to an NBA basketball player who had an 18-year career competing at the highest level. Today, however, we get to listen and learn from one of the best to do it. His name's Jerry Stackhouse. Not only did he play 18 seasons, he actually competed and contributed at every place that he went to. Today, we get to learn from him all the way from his childhood through his days at UNC, all the way through his career up until now where he is the head coach of the Vanderbilt basketball team. You're not going to want to miss this episode of The Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game time! Woo! If you're sick of the mainstream sports outlets, well, so was I. So I started my own show. I'm Shane Larson, and this is The Game Time Guru. It's different than other talk shows. I'm providing a panoramic view on sports so you can see them through a different lens. So buckle up and let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome out to the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson, coming at you with another amazing interview today as we break down the world of sports from a different angle. We're delivering a panoramic view on sports, helping you see sports through a different lens through interviews from our guests. And today, we're bringing on an 18-year NBA vet. Uh, he played for eight teams, two-time All-Star. He's got a lot, uh, a lot of accolades, I, I should say. Um, and now he's the current head basketball coach at Vanderbilt. His name's Jerry Stackhouse. Jerry, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you, Shane. Thanks for having me on. Man, I, I, it's, it's, it's an honor. I am like super stoked about this. It's like a kid in a candy shop. I can't even explain. So um, I just need to, we, I mean, a lot of my basketball fans already kind of know who you are as the athlete, but we want to take it back a step, Jerry. We want to take it back to when you first picked up a basketball. So can you take us down memory lane a little bit and, you know, your earliest memory of picking up a basketball? Man, I think my earliest memory of picking up a basketball probably wasn't even on a basketball court. It was like inside my house shooting. My brothers, uh, I'm the youngest of eight boys, so I mean, but it was probably only three of them really there with me when I was growing up, when I was a baby, like uh, the big gap between us. But I, again, just in the house, man, having a little uh, clothes hanger, making a hoop. My brother was good at making nets and ball up some socks and and shooting, you know, hanging it over the the, the, the bedroom door and, and playing playing hoops that way. So, I mean, I think basketball has been a part of my life for an uh, extremely long time, but it, it definitely comes from some some humble humble beginnings. I love that story, though. That's so awesome to hear, like, when it kind of started. Just kind of – you had it in your blood, your DNA, but, it yeah, it was a little bit different than some might think, just, like, picking it up on an actual basketball court. So that's super, super cool. Can you talk to us about, like – the example that your siblings and your family have, from my understanding, you're a pretty big family man. Um, you've referenced your mother before when I've heard you talk to other people and stuff, and then also your siblings. What was the impact of having a, a strong family bond? I mean, it was huge. I mean, I think just, you know, family is the foundation of, of everything that I pretty much stand for and everything that I want to try to accomplish going forward with, with my, where I'm at now with my team. It's all about us you know, having, having a family, having a connection. Obviously, we're never going to have the bond of your immediate family, your brothers and sisters, your mom and dad, but being able to be an extended family, um, it helps, you know, because when, when, you're going to face adversity. And once you have adversity, if you have people that can, that want to help pick you up and, and that enjoy picking you up, I think it bodes well for, for you to have success. Totally, totally. Now let's let's stay kind of on that topic. I know that you have an experience that you've shared before, and I'd love to hear it again. Is is when you got into college, and it was some advice that your mom gave you. I, I took notes when I listened to you in uh, in a coaching call once, actually, and uh, you took I took notes about listen to your mother. 
Um, you had an experience that happened when you got into college uh, and some advice that you took from your mom. Do you mind breaking that down for my listeners? Well, yeah, I think it, for, for, for me, it was like, man, when I first got to college, I was the number one player coming out of high school. Um, I you know, went to North Carolina. I signed to go to North Carolina early. I committed early. Um, and a lot of it was because they hadn't won a championship since Michael Jordan had been there in 1982. So I was like, okay, I want to I wanna be the next player from North Carolina to help win the championship. Uh, but they win the championship the spring before I get there. So it was like it kind of took a little bit of the win out of my sales. Um, but I still, you know, fulfilled my commitment of going to North Carolina, being from North Carolina. And, you know, and I, and I went there, you know, as, as confident as I, as I ever been. And I played well, and I was playing about 18 minutes a game, averaging almost 13 points a game. But I just felt like I could be doing more. Um, I was seeing other, you know, freshmen across the country, Joe Smith in particular in our conference, um, he, him getting a lot of, you know, talk for freshman of the year and different things like that. And, and I felt that, you know, honestly, I was a better player, but I wasn't getting it because of how I was being utilized at North Carolina at the time. And so it was just like, you know, kind of having a pity party. And, you know, one day after one of the games, or again, I didn't probably play as much or as, as I like, you know, and I'm on the ride back to my dorm with my mom, you know, and we're just having a conversation just like this, this is not the place for me. I could be doing this. And, and I, you know, I ready to transfer, ready to do this. And then she was just like, yo, um, if, you know, she heard me out. She listened to my whole just ran and, you know, about how woe is me. But it was like, you know, if you start running now, you're going to be running the rest of your life. And that just kind of stuck with me just to, to be like, okay, I'm not a, I'm not a runner. Uh, you know, I can, whatever I'm going through right now, I can get through it. You know? And there's going to be something good on the other side of it. And um, and I just took those those words to heart. And two weeks later, less than two weeks later, you know, in the ACC tournament, I'm the most valuable player at the ACC tournament. So I just think that it just speaks to, um, you know, being able to have some patience to grow, you know, deal with adversity. Um, and, and at the same time, having good mentors and having good uh, good leaders, you know, you know, good parents to be able to kind of put you in your place just because things aren't going exactly the way you like it that, you know, that's life and you're going to have to, you know, be, be ready to deal with those things. And, and they're in the best decisions that I made in my life, just being able to continue to learn under Coach Smith. You know, he, he's so valuable to everything, again, that I do now, you know, just wanting to kind of follow who he was as a leader. You know, again, being able to challenge guys. A lot of the things and the challenges and uh, adversity that, that I thought I was dealing with, it was like, you know, it was it was contrived. I mean, he, he actually set – set tests and set traps to, to try to help you grow and, and things that I just didn't realize at the time. And I think that those are things um, that, that I try to use with our student athletes now, again, to still trying to, you know, to push them, you know, to not just from uh, a basketball standpoint, but from just a, a growth standpoint, making sure that we're in the community, making sure that we're doing everything. So it's, it's bigger than just what what's going on in between the lines. And like I said, those, uh, if I'd have been to, you know, left North Carolina, you know, running, uh, I probably wouldn't be here right now, you know, but because I was able to, to stick through it and had the relationship to, uh, and everything that come with being a part of University of North Carolina that propelled me, you know, into my professional career. Um, and so it's just, again, man, just, just being able to patience and understand that as 16, 17, 18 year olds, 
we did not know it all. And, and even though, you know, it's a lot more information for, for kids at this point. I mean, they got a lot of knowledge at the, you know, at their fingertips through social media and, and different things, but still there's nothing like having that, that, that wisdom of, of someone that's been there and, and, can, and can offer sound advice. See, my mom is probably going to be listening to this smiling as you're talking. And I didn't tell her about this before. So when she listens to this interview, she's going to definitely want to talk to me afterwards to do a little, I told you so. I think there's a lot of them out there. See, like, but that's what it stuck with me. And that's why I really appreciate you sharing that is because that was some sound advice that really, like you said, kind of projected you and kind of set the foundation for the remainder of your career, which in terms of like, like athletics, especially in professional athletics, you had an extremely long career. That's like a double the career of, of a normal athlete, if not more, uh, because not a lot of guys can make it even past their first contract nowadays in the NBA. And you, you made it 18 seasons. So before we even get into that point, I want to make sure the listeners understand, like you stayed at UNC, uh, to my understanding, your sophomore year, you were a first team all American sports illustrated, I believe had you a player of the year, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, you had a, a pretty solid little stint there while you were there so I mean you put you put some work in uh you stayed you did what your mom said and you, you put work in and you and you and you learned and you mentioned uh coach Smith um and I would just like to to ask you real quick if you could elaborate you, you mentioned the leader that he was what was the biggest thing what was the, if you could just pinpoint one thing I know there's probably a ton that you said you're implementing into your career right now as head coach at Vanderbilt but like what was the one thing if you could just say you took it away from coach Dean Smith what would it be well, I think he uh, he cared about everybody. You know, again, obviously we had a lot of you know, lottery picks. Michelle, myself, Rasheed Wallace, you know, uh, Eric Montrose, all those guys that you know he coached. Michael Jordan, you can go to list on. But I think he cared, you know, genuinely cared about the the walk on, the, the 13, 14 man walk on. I mean, they, they, just like he would send me when I was in the pros, he would send me a letter to start to the season and check on me and see how he was doing. He did that with everybody. And we talked to guys that was uh, a Moorhead scholar from my hometown, you know, and I see him and he got, you know, he got a note from Coach Smith. I think all of those little things. Um, I had a friend that, 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 you know, from from back home, came up, ride, he just ride with me to Chapel Hill to spend the weekend, um, you know, and we're going to the office to see Coach Smith. Damn, you know, it's probably a year later, you know, and then Coach Smith calls him by name. You know, hey, hey, what's up, Alan? Like, it's like this. Like he, like he can't believe Coach Smith knows his name, but I mean, he he went out of his way to make sure that that he did all of those little things, and um, and I and I wish I could follow in his footsteps with that, but I am absolutely awful with names <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and faces sometimes. But uh, but I guess he was he was a mathematical mathematical wizard, man. I mean, he was just numbers and being able to remember things like that. So that's why it was really, really tough seeing him there at the end with kind of the dimension stuff because the mind that had been so sharp to um, you know, not, not really recognize, you know, some of us at, at certain times, it was tough to watch him in that position. Totally, totally. But Dean Smith is obviously a legend, Hall of Fame coach. I mean, he's, like you mentioned, the, the list goes on to the players that he put together. I think five years ago, Bleacher Report, if I'm not mistaken, put out a, an article with the top 10 players to ever play for Dean Smith. Obviously, your name was mentioned amongst others. Um, it was just super cool to kind of see, like, yeah, he, he primed these guys. But the cool thing is to hear from your perspective, it wasn't just the top-tier athletes. It was the walk-ons. Like you said, these guys, he truly cared uh, about the people as individuals. And I think that's super important for us to hear and all the coaches that listen to this show to also hear any leader, for that matter, to hear just the, pers the, the personal touch to his style is super, super important. Now, Stack, you go. I one more thing to that, man, too. I think just, you know, even after, like, it wasn't just like, okay, 
I had this, you know, kid that was going to the pros now, and then I just let all these, you know, money managers or agents just handle. He still took a vested interest. You know, he made sure that, you know, he 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 put me with the financial advisor that I'm still with today. You know, that's right there in Chapel Hill. Um, that had never taken on a, a an athlete before. I was the first athlete that they that, that they ever worked with. Coach Smith brokered that. He was the one that was still watching my finances and stuff because I was, you know, coming from a family that didn't understand, you know, the the, the amount of money that I was, you know, the, the, I just was coming into, you know. So having him as almost like the rich dad, poor dad, um, you know, his value. Like I can remember, you know, walking, you know, coming into the office to see him and checking him out. And it's like, you know, you've been, been swinging quite a little bit. You know, your, your American Express bill was, was kind of high, but he was still checking. And that's not something he had to do, you know, the rest of my my career. But those are things in those early years to make sure that he still um, kept tabs on us. And, I, and I'm very appreciative of it. That's so cool to hear that. Somebody who actually cares about you when you leave the program. I mean, that shows that he truly cares about you as a human being, not just one of his athletes. I think that's super, super cool. <laughs> actually makes me laugh. Um, that's awesome, though. And so, so, Stack, you're going into the NBA draft, um, and obviously this starts the, the long career that you had. And you mentioned once about the position change. I kind of want to know, like, in your early years getting into the NBA – what it was like, the biggest transition. Obviously, you played for a prestigious university, probably had some good facilities, great coaching, obviously. But there's always a major transition from the college game to the pro game, just like there is from the high school to the collegiate level. There's always like a transition when you go to the next level, mainly because the skill set is different, the type of ball is different, the demand on your body from a mental and physical standpoint is different. But what would you say was the biggest transitional piece coming from North Carolina into the pros, into your rookie, your rookie year, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the position. Uh, again, I was coming in and playing against guys that have been guards their whole life, and I was basically a, a small power forward, you know, my years in North Carolina. Really, I played the four, um, and I was on the perimeter a little bit at, you know, as a small forward. Then we got some injuries to where everybody had to slide down to where I was. Rashid was the five, and now I was the four. Dante Calabria was the three, Don Williams was the two, and Jeff McGinnis was the point guard. Uh, but that was the best, you know, lineup for us to, to try to have success. So, I, so as I was drafted as a shooting guard to, um, to Philadelphia, you know, it was like crazy trying to learn how to chase off of screens and just do stuff that I hadn't really done before. I've been guarding post players, guarding a little bit on the perimeter, but not, you know, chasing you know, shooters coming off screen. So I think those were – things that I had to, uh, that was my learning curve. Uh, and once I kind of learned my learning curve and, and, and adjusted to it, I was able to make myself an all-star at that, you know, position. But it was, you know, it wasn't easy, you know, when you're playing against the best, of, you know, the best in the world, you know, at the highest level, you know, in the NBA, of trying to, you know, play catch up a little bit. But I just think that I had, again, good people around me to, to help work on my game. Um, and I had just, you know, ultra confidence, you know, even though my, I may not have had the flashiest crossover, I may not have had the, you know, the, the best jump shot, um, you had to beat me, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you're going, I'm going to try to find a way to, to get it done. And I think that was my mindset for, um, you know, for my whole career, which allowed me to play a very long time. 
You know, it's super intriguing that you mentioned that the the whole position change because I don't I want I want to make sure the listeners understand that that's actually a really really big transition. I've seen kids at our local high schools here in Idaho, right on the western side of the United States in Idaho, who are playing post at six feet tall. Okay, that's just because depending on the schools and the the district that you're playing in, sometimes that's what the big football players can move guys in the post and they play. Okay, but then they get a scholarship or they played a JUCO or whatever it may be at the next level. Yeah, you're not playing six foot, you know, you're not a six foot post. That just doesn't happen these days. And they can't transition to the guard because it's super hard. And that's just at the JUCO level. What you're saying, Jerry, is that you did that at the NBA. Okay, you were transitioning to a guard position in the NBA, which is the top, like, in my opinion, the best athletes in the world. You can, everybody can find me on that, but I think it's the best athletes in the world in the NBA. And you had to play a guard position. You're, you're transitioning at the NBA, which is extremely difficult. And the fact that you were able to do so kind of shows it, it's, it's interesting because you said like your mindset was in the right place. And I think that carried you through the rest of your career because I mean, you lasted 18 years in the NBA and you contributed everywhere you went. And that's the coolest part about it. Now, first, before we kind of get into the rest of your NBA career, who would you say like kind of took you under their wing? Did anybody do that? Like any of your teammates kind of help you out when you first got into the NBA or were there some struggles there? Like, I, I guess I just would like to hear what that was like coming into the NBA. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely some struggles. Again, I was like, you know, again, handling the ball on the perimeter and doing, I mean, I could get to the basket. I can, you know, make plays, but you know, passing off the dribble and all things. I was probably one of the you know turnover leaders you know, my first year. And then I was I didn't like hearing the things in the, you know, papers about me being turnover prone and different things. So I, I continued to work, on, you know, continued to work. And I got those numbers down. I went from almost four turnovers to, to three. You know, it was still too many, but it was a big improvement from, from my standpoint. Again, like for someone that hadn't played that position before. But, I mean, for me, man, it's just like, yo, I, I know uh, Vernon Maxwell was a guy that stood out to me. You know, he was a guy that really saw me kept getting, you know, hit with, with these screens. And it was like, yo, you know, put, get, on, get, get on his hip, get on his hip. Just show me just a little nuances, little, a little nudge. As soon as you come off that screen, you just give him a little nudge. And his momentum, you know, the official don't know if it's his momentum or you giving him that nudge. And those guys, whether it was a Ray Allen or Reggie Miller or Allen Houston, I would give him that nudge and it was giving me a little bit of time to, to catch up. Yeah, they're yelling to the ref, he pushing me, pushing me, but it was, you know, it's so subtle and, and it was hidden. And I think that was uh, one thing that helped me throughout my whole career that I, I learned that, that that rookie year playing with Vernon. And, and, and not everybody's like that. I mean, it's, it's a business and, and guys that um, I had on, on that team, same, some veteran guys that didn't offer me any advice. Again, they felt like that was going to afford them uh, more opportunity to to see me fail, you know. I'm, I'm the, the third pick in the first round, so and I'm gonna be here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like it's, it probably behooves you to try. Uh, but I think, but not everybody thinks that way. So I made sure that as I became that uh, person on, on NBA teams, and always reached back to my my younger guys, my rookies, and, and make sure I showed them all those little nuances. I took care of them, making sure that they got a you know, got a suit. They knew how to be a businessman, and you know, and how they how they should come to the game and different things like that. I spent time with my with my rookies that I didn't because I didn't have that really myself. Yeah, but you know, Vern was good on the court, um, but again, just being that that person on the court and off the court is is, is who I you know you know told myself I was going to be. 
Totally, man. And the, and just so you, like you naming those players' names that like Allen Houston, Reggie, those guys that you're guarding. That's insane that you had to guard those guys. Those are like Hall of Famers coming off. And so the the little intricacies of the game that you're mentioning there with the you know staying on their hip, kind of change. Those are things that the the outside fan may not fully understand, and even the the normal fan of uh, like even the current athletes may not fully understand like these tiny little like you said nuances of the game to try to like get yourself like a competitive advantage. Now, Stack, you did mention your your teammates like obviously like they're not everybody was like that and you wanted to be like like vernon was and and help the younger guys how do you go about doing that i guess in your sense where you know when you're a vet and you know these guys are coming in and essentially competing for your position competing for playing time but how do you go about giving them the advice at the same time competing so that you still get yours you know what i mean yeah, I mean, I think that there's a, you know, there's a happy medium there. Yeah, I mean, you, you compete to establish who you are, you know, that, I mean, from day one, right, like here. Like, yeah, I, I didn't spend, have a whole lot of time where, you know, they drafted um, guys in my same position. You know, it might have been a free agent guy that would come in, you know, at, at my same position. But still, it's like, you know, here, I, I'm establishing who I am on day one about how hard I play. How I complete and my uh, and my skill set, but um, you know, at the same time, it's like, man, you, I, I have no problem sharing with you because I don't feel like you can do what I can do anyway, right? I mean, that's just the kind of inner confidence that I had about, um, you know, you can't do it. Like I said, that, that's in my mindset. So let me help you, you know, make sure that you're here on time, making sure that you understand because ultimately you're gonna help help us win. If I, if I sit here and just try to not to help you and show you things that's going to help us, ultimately I'm not making my team better. And I think that, that was important to me as I got older. It wasn't as important when I first got into the league. I mean, the reality is for, for most guys getting in the league, you're trying to prove that you can play. So it's a lot about me and I and what I – and then as you get older and you're able to establish, okay, that I belong, now it comes about winning and trying to put yourself in the in, – in the right situation and now you you know situations where you look at the talent wise where in a in a philadelphia with myself and alan iverson we look back and you know down the road when we're looking for some some help you know like all right we had some help back then but didn't realize it and, and now it's it, it's too late and so you know what did they say you know hindsight 2020 but you know at, at the time being in that space that it's just about man i i gotta prove who I am, because if you, if you don't, you know, that league can, can eat you up, you know, not, not everybody can, like I said, get an opportunity to, because staying is the hard part. A lot of people can get there. There's been plenty of people that have been drafted, but, you know, being able to stay and have longevity is, is, is a totally different story. 100%, 100%. Now, Stack, you had a, a career where that was, uh, you're mentioning names again, like you're dropping, dropping names. You played with a lot of, like, well-known individuals, yourself included. I'm curious, you know, throughout the duration of your, your career, you probably – it's interesting because when you first came into the league, there was like this era of basketball that was kind of at the tail end the last five years, like we saw with the last dance, the whole documentary has been going out. We kind of see that era of basketball with like the Stockton Malones. They kind of were transitioning out, and then there was the next era that kind of came through. And then you even went to the I, – I was going in like five-year spurts, and you were part of all of them, played with a lot of good players, a lot of – uh, you played against a lot of good players. Who would you say were like the top three players, whether it was a competitor or a teammate, that you were, you know, you would put into your, your NBA career? Who's the top three players you were around? Oh, man, that's such a tough one. Like I said, I played with so many, you know, great players. Um, I'll just kind of go in 
in order, obviously playing with, with, with Allen Iverson in, um, in Philadelphia, Grant Hill in Detroit, um, you know, having a, a veteran like, you know, like Jude, Joe Dumars, uh, Grant Long, you know, Rick Mahorn, those guys, those old school guys, those guys showed you how to be real professional. We were just a bunch of young guys in Philadelphia, and then you get to Detroit, you have some guys that have, have a championship pedigree, and um, even though they were the bad boys, I kind of liked that moniker too, you know, so it was, uh, it, it was a good fit. And then um, Ben Wallace, I put him up there too as one of the you know, great players. I mean, he was a guy that was dominant defensively, you know, great rebounder. Um, you know, from there, you know, Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki was the guy I played with in, in uh, you know, in Dallas, you know, you know great player. Uh, I mean, I even put Jason Terry in there. I mean, the guy that had the confidence to, to tattoo a championship trophy on his bicep before the season and then go get it done. You know, that, those are the type of guys you want to uh, want to compete with. And, um, you know, and then from there, LeBron, you know, LeBron and Dwayne Wade, I was on the on the team with, with them in Miami for a year and get you know and they just kind of mentored those guys a little bit. Um, you know, Dwayne Wade, you know, he, the first couple of days in practice was pulling me over there because you know, I used to always put my little post move on him, give him a little little nudge. You know, like Stack, you got to show me that nudge. And and to his credit, man, even you know he he, he mentions in that and you know all the success that he had, championship, Hall of Fame career. He still, you know, mentioned those little little subtleties that I showed him. So I think just spending some time with, with, with some of the greats, Michael Jordan, again, I caught him at the end of his career. He wasn't the Michael Jordan that, you know, I had seen and played against, you know, up until 1998. He was like, I think those, when we first came into the league in 95, it was like he was two levels above everybody. Uh, and then when he took off and came back in, you know, 98, it was like, yo, he, uh, all right, we're almost there. And then, you know, you know, at Washington, we was like, okay, we're, we're out of, out of him, you know. So it was uh, a little, little bit of, you know, it's tough to watch when you have an icon like that who you have so much respect for. And, and you know, but every, the game ends for everybody. The game at the end of the day, you know, this is a young man's game. And um, father, father time is undefeated. Totally. That's super cool to hear who you've played with. I mean, just – Super, super, super cool, like, memories, I'm sure. Like, you're talking Hall of Fame athletes, even the ones at the end of their career. But you were also with LeBron and D. Wade and Allen Iverson. It's just crazy. And the eras of basketball, again, just from the beginning of your career all the way to the end, super awesome. Now, to, to wrap it up, too, as far as your NBA career stack, what was your favorite arena? I just – like, what was your favorite arena to play in? Uh, you played in every one of them probably multiple, multiple times, um, and even the new ones that were built and stuff. So who, what was your favorite arena to play in and why? Uh, I, I love uh, – man, I had a few. Uh, I mean, really, Miami, when I first started out, I mean, the old Miami arena, I don't know why. I always – I gave them buckets down there. And then uh, <laughs> Phoenix, you know, we used to go out there. I think it's just the warm weather cities. I, for some reason – being in Philadelphia and being in Detroit, whenever you get to those warm weather cities that you can wear shorts to shoot around and all that, you get a little loose and, and it gets kind of carried over to the game. But probably uh, my favorite is, is still um, the, the L.A., you know what I'm saying, how they just black out everything. and It's like you're just on the, on the stage, you know, and they, they used to have that, in the, you know, in the forum and then um, and at the Staples Center. Super cool, man. Super cool. 
now at Vanderbilt. Stack, you're, you're now the head coach of the Vanderbilt basketball program. And I'm just curious, you know, you go from this, this 18-year career and you've got experience as an analyst as well. I mean, you've been doing a lot with, like, the, the broadcasting stuff too. I mean, you did be telling a lot of stuff. Now you're head coach. And I'm curious, like, what are you trying to do with your, your team? What's the biggest, I guess, difference? I mean, from, from playing is one thing, but it, being able to coach athletes is a whole other one. Those who have done it at whatever level kind of understand that. If you're an athlete, that's one thing because you're the actual one doing things. You have a lot of control over what you do. But as a coach – there's a different skill set involved. So what's the transition there, and uh, how are you enjoying it so far? Um, first, I'm really enjoying it, man. I think it's uh, – I, I enjoy coaching the teaching part of it. Uh, and I really enjoy coaching and teaching at any level. It's just so happening that I'm in college right now. I enjoy the pros. I enjoy dealing with, with, you know, with that type of talent, just, you know, unbelievable talent that can go out on the court and pretty much – what you direct, they can they can execute. But I also enjoy um, working with you know twelve year olds, thirteen year olds, kids that haven't really you know developed any bad habits yet, and you can kind of you know create habits as opposed and because that's really what um, coaching at this level and coaching at the pro level is is really kind of breaking down some habits guys that have built over time. Some of you know you build good habits and you build bad habits, and I think ball watching is one that's uh, you know, it's, it's universal, you know, at, at all levels, no matter how old you are, how young you are, you know, ball watching, especially on the defensive side is, and even offensively, just standing and watching uh, other guys play and not, you know, uh, making, you know, making yourself available or setting, you know, false actions on the weak side just to kind of occupy different things like that. Just teaching those little nuances are, uh, you know, really what I enjoy. But yeah, I had a lot of different passions. I did some some, some media stuff, broadcasting, whatever, because you never know. Like, um, you know, I've, I've always heard that um, every coach has been hired to eventually be fired one day. So you know, I think you got, got to have something. <laughs> I, might, I might need to come and talk to you about getting on the podcast at, at some point. So being able to, to um, do different things. I did that when I first finished. I think I felt like I need to get a little separation from the game uh, after my playing career. I don't think you ever really would have been kind of taken serious as a coach at, at the pro level until you kind of get some of the quote unquote player stink off of you. Um, so I think that that's, uh, I did that in, in the meantime, did some stuff with our players union, did some um, some broadcasting and, and, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, talking to game radio shows or going to, you know, NBA TV sitting there on an ad, as an analyst and it's kept me close to the game, but really my, there's nothing that could fuel my passion and my competitiveness and, and that camaraderie that you get of being on a team other than getting back into it in this capacity. If you can't play anymore now, it's like now I can still impact the game by using my understanding of the game to, um, you know, match with, with, with some of the best in, in the business. And, 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 and I feel like this, you know, not just because it's not just my coaching experience. A lot of people are like, oh, you've been coaching for probably a relative short amount of time, four or five, six years. But man, I, man, I played 20 so uh, of this game. You know? So you mean tell me a guy just because he was the coach, I mean, he, he would know more than me. Than, and I was a guy that I've always been in sync with my coach because as a, as a, as a better player on the team that I needed to understand exactly what he wanted to get accomplished. So. Um, you know, it was, it's pretty, pretty seamless for me, man. Just taking all of, cause I played for some great coaches when you go back to, you know, coach Smith and, um, you know, 
Larry Brown, uh, Rick Carlisle, you know, Avery Johnson, uh, you know, Scott Scowls. I mean, I, I just played for a number of great coaches and taken a lot from them. Eric Spolster, you know, just taking a little bit of all of those guys and kind of made my, my own identity of how I feel the game should be played offensively and defensively. And, and I've had success with it. And just thank God that God has continued to um, allow everything that has happened in my life up until this point to prepare me for the next phase. So I never really get worried or anxious because I feel like uh, whatever is next that uh, you know, I've been prepared for. So awesome, man. So awesome hearing from you. And last thing from you, man, I just want to ask you as we wrap this up, Stack, is just if you have one piece of advice, obviously you've got some, you've just dropped a ton of golden nuggets for everybody, but if you got one piece of advice, just one thing to say to any athlete or anybody for that matter who's coming up and they want to make their career happen wherever it may be. You had an 18 year career at the highest level of basketball. You obviously had to do some things that were special to get there. My question is, what would be the one piece of advice for those who are trying to excel at the next level of whatever they're doing? Man, I think it's just, uh, it's different for different age groups. I mean, I think as younger adolescents, I mean, you got to do a lot. You got to really kind of find uh, what's good for you. I encourage you to play, you know, multiple sports, you know, try not to centralize you know, right away. You know, I think, you know, like, I think probably the right age is centralized probably around 13, 14. You know, and a lot of people feel like, okay, if you wait till 13, 14, you're going to be way behind the game. No, really. Like, there's really are late bloomers and, and kids that can um, develop a, a real unbelievable skill set. So, but it's all about passion. You know, you got to have passion for something. You, you know, I really didn't get, great at anything that I did, whether it was playing or coaching, until I said, this is exactly what I wanted to do. I could dibble a little bit with the media um, piece, with the broadcasting piece, with the radio piece, with, you know, some some other business ventures. But man, what it all came back to, what do I really love to do? And that was involved me being around the 94 feet of a basketball court. So from a player to a coach, I love it. So well, that's, that's, that'd be my advice to anybody. You know, if you want to have success with, with something, don't do it because you feel like it's, you know, lucrative from a money standpoint. And a lot of people do it, right? It's, there's great perks of being playing in the, in the pros or, or coaching at a power five level. But it, would, it don't work out unless you, you love what you're doing. And I, and I truly love what I do. So awesome. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jerry Stackhouse. Really appreciate you joining the show here on the Game Time Guru Podcast. Stack, thank you so much. And you guys know the drill. If you guys enjoyed it, make sure to give us five stars, leave us a review, and we'll be coming to you next week. But Stackhouse, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you, Shane. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.